You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon from the studios of Community Radio 91.3 FM reporting live for WFHB. This is Jordan Jammer. And I'm Erin Wiegermiller. This is WFHB Local News for Friday, March 6th, 2020. The most impact is, is that there's a lot of work that is being done, that there's a group of individuals that are working very hard to ensure a welcoming environment for black and brown people in Bloomington. That was Marquiba Reese, who was given an Outstanding Black Leaders of Tomorrow Award from the City of Bloomington. That's coming up in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, third secretaries at the Cuban Embassy continue their conversation with WFHB's Cynthia Roberts-Hall. But first, your local headlines. Bloomington City Council discussed the Arlington Drive Zoning Ordinance and preliminary plat during their March 4th meeting. Senior Zoning Planner Eric Grulick said the proposed developments include single-family homes, duplexes, townhomes, and multifamily housing. He said heavily vegetated parts of the development will be preserved as environmental conservation. The north half of this site, though, uh, was not uh, disturbed with that work. Um, So it remains very much a a mature forest, um, tall, mature canopy trees, uh, good understory growth. Um, So there's kind of a mix of... Um, vegetation on the property with the north half of the property having uh, good quality vegetation and uh, you know most of two-thirds of the property kind of uh, suffering from uh, very bare soil and cedar trees that are just kind of scattered throughout it. Grulick said the developer is giving 45 build-ready single-family lots to the city. He said the developed area would contain 387 units total. He spoke about street connectivity. One of the things that I mentioned with the public streets, um, this would be designed with a complete streets uh, concept uh, that would encompass uh, both vehicular modes as well as pedestrian and multimodal. Um, So there's a 10-foot multi-purpose path that is being shown along the interior of the site. Um, This would run from Arlington uh, through the site and connect down to 17th Street. Grulick said petitioners have committed to a transit agreement with Bloomington Transit for daily shuttle service. Council member Matt Flaherty proposed a reasonable condition about potential transit reno- renegotiations. Details are listed there. Most of this language change is really um, dealing with uncertainty and, and possible eventualities in you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, most likely, uh, as to what might happen with transit or if to transit uh, funding changes and we would like to pursue a more frequent route or a different route that is still um, connected to this kind of laying out the terms of how renegotiations would would proceed. So I appreciate very much uh, the petitioner um, working with us on developing that language uh, over the last week or two. Council members approved the reasonable condition. Council members also approved conditions for townhomes to follow street curvature, to increase electric vehicle charging stations, utilize parallel parking over perpendicular parking, and intermixing of townhomes and cottages. Council members unanimously approved the preliminary plat with reasonable conditions. The Monroe County Election Board discussed unique voting circumstances at their March 5th meeting. Board member Hal Turner questioned how people would vote in the events of a pandemic. 
Brown said options are available to vote from home. If you are concerned about that, and we certainly don't want to diminish anyone's concerns, but if you are concerned about that, you have the option to vote by mail. And I will emphasize that you have the option to request an absentee ballot by mail, and you can vote by mail if you have any concerns about showing up in person. As I understand the CDC's recommendations, if you are healthy, you can certainly vote in person. Brown said hand sanitizer will be available at the entrance and exit of each voting site. Ellettsville Plan Commission approved a Richland Senior Housing Development Plan extension during their March 5th meeting. Planner Kevin Talati said the development would include four one-story buildings for seniors ages 62 and up. He said the developer requested three waivers. In addition, the petitioner is requesting several waivers from subdivision regulations, and these are for a waiver from sidewalks and street trees along North Matthews Drive and waiver from curbs along one side of an interior drive. The petitioner from Alley Affordable Housing said a pedestrian trail is planned to connect the development to town. She said constructing sidewalks on the existing street slopes would be a safety concern. And because there are some steep slopes when you're coming in through there, it is just not, um, it was more of a safety issue that we were looking at and just wanted to make sure that people were doing the walking within the trail, which the elevations have already been considered, and um, to also use the facilities within there or have access. Because um, normally Matthews has been used more with like, car traffic versus um, pedestrians. Town engineer Rick Kopic said residents would have to walk a 12-foot drop from the development to sidewalks on North Matthews Drive. He said sidewalk construction would cause drainage issues. One of the reasons they probably don't show it on there either is it's like I say it'd be pretty hard to construct. You'd have to put the sidewalk in and then build a retaining wall and you also have a couple some drainage issues there because you'd have to install some storm inlets across Matthews to take the drainage away from it. So there's multiple issues on why there's not a sidewalk designed in there. Commissioners approved the plan and waiver for North Matthews Drive North Matthews Drive sidewalks. The petitioner said development completion is projected for January of twenty twenty two. The Bloomington Board of Public Works approved a six-month closure of Lower Cascades Road for a pedestrian travel trial period starting March 13th. Director of Parks and Recreation Paula McDevitt said QR codes posted at both trail entrances would be linked to an online survey. She said closure was chosen for this time of year to collect peak season usage data. Community member Greg Alexander said the trail lacks pedestrian connectivity. Also, community member Janet Nichols had concerns about alternate routes for emergency vehicles. McDevitt said all emergency services are aware of the project and have alternative routes. Signage will warn drivers of the street closure. Questions and concerns should be directed to the City Parks Department or City Department of Public Works. The Indiana General Assembly is moving forward on a bill to deregulate Indiana's wetlands. WFHB junior correspondent Katrine Bruner has more on this story. 
On Wednesday, March 26, Indiana lawmakers advanced a Senate bill to the House for removing state regulation of specific Indiana wetlands. The vote was made by the House Environmental Affairs Committee with a final 5-4 majority from the Republican side. The bill would remove state oversight of wetlands near regulated drains made for alleviating flooding. Regulated drains in Indiana include man-made ditches, streams, sewers, and drainage pipes. Concerning the effects that this bill would have on the ecosystems, Indiana Department of Environmental Management says that it will lead to less monitoring, more flooding, and a decrease in wildlife. Unfortunately, Indiana has already lost many of its wetlands. In the early 1700s, wetlands covered 25% of the total area in Indiana. Now, Indiana wetlands cover less than 4% of the state. These wetlands include bogs, fens, wet prairies, dune and swallies, cypress swamps, marshes, and swamps. Wetlands provide space for many of the country's birds to feed, nest, and roost in. They also store and filter nutrients and sediments, making lakes, rivers, and streams cleaner and drinking water safer. Wetlands overall protect homes from floods and help avoid erosion by soaking up water and slowly releasing it. Many concerns for the bill have been driven by Noblesville Senator Victoria Sparts, who authored it. Sparts is the daughter-in-law of Charlie Sparts, who bought around 60 acres at Indiana 32 and Indiana 37 for $1.75 million in 2004. Two years later, the family filled in and tore up the wetlands and drains originally built to manage flooding in the area to make room for a super target. The project was stopped by IDEM, who found out that the project did not have official state and federal permission. Sparks has denied any correlation from the past incident to the Senate bill now. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management and other organizations have stated that this bill, quote, reaches too far to correct one dispute, end quote in reference to the incident between Idem and Hamilton County years prior. That was Katrine Bruner reporting on an effort to slash regulations for Indiana's wetlands. Reporting live for WFHB, I'm Jordan Jammer. And I'm Erin Wagermiller. Support for WFHB comes from Cardinal Spirits Distillery, located on the B-Line. Cardinal Spirits has opened a new kitchen featuring local seasonal food made from scratch to complement their craft cocktails. Dinner available Tuesday through Saturday at Cardinal Spirits. That's at 922 South Morton Street. Up next, WFHB correspondent Cynthia Roberts-Hall interviewed Yannette Primariega and Dariel Quintana, both third secretaries to the Cuban Embassy in Washington, D.C. This is part two of the series. Yes, actually, um, the business school as well has had some uh, people going with the Cuenta uh, Propistas or the uh, in, uh, Young Entrepreneurs, which has kind of been receding a bit under Trump, unfortunately. Can you elaborate just briefly on how that's uh, playing out in Cuba? Yes, uh, this is an area uh, we have been uh, improving in Cuba uh, since 2011. There has been a uh, growing the, the, the movement and the, the people uh, in the private sector in Cuba, so-called Cuenca uh, Propistas in Cuba. Unfortunately, uh, this has been uh, one of the areas that has been most affected by the, the, the recent uh, measures of the current administrations towards Cuba. The, the peoples in Cuba, I mean the business peoples in Cuba, got many benefits 
from the visits of U.S. Uh, you know visitors uh, to Cuba, also the relations in commerce, I mean exports of some commodities uh, in Cuba as well that were receiving the you know the cruise ships that were stopped back in in June the fifth was uh, also were received in Cuba. Now those uh, recent uh, measures has been directly affecting this uh, uh, community in Cuba as well as has been affected uh, most of them to the so-called Cuban-American people that are living here in the United States. Yes, we have a conversation yesterday with uh, people from the Bloomington University to explore what we can do in this area. We are planning to have more uh, engagement with the business college there in, uh, in Indiana and the University of Indiana to, you know, explore with the Cuban counterparts and best practices how we can improve uh, this, this sector. Yes, and even though they have discontinued the cruises and cut back on flights to all but Havana, it is still possible to go. There are still commercial flights that go into Havana, and one of the uh, best avenues for learning is to visit Cuba. So we encourage people to uh, look into the various avenues that are being approached to be able to visit to Cuba. Uh, even, even with the current uh, restrictions that have been imposed by the, the current administration in the United States, there is still more than 400 people travel to Cuba from the United States. American citizens traveled to Cuba last year in 2019. This is an impressive figure and it's, uh, it's less than the 2018 and 2017. But there is uh, an important uh, number of people going there because they want to know better the Cuban reality. And we encourage everybody who has the desire to travel to Cuba to, to do it in the right way and to learn what, what is Cuba because it's, it's amazing what, how many things you can learn in a small trip to Cuba. You can change your view on, on our country. Also, it's important to know that Americans aren't allowed to travel as tourists to Cuba because it's a law. Right in the United States that, that uh, ban that possibility, but there is uh, 12 categories of travel that American people could uh, choose to go there, like support for the Cuban people, educational travel, and things like that. There are uh, a lot of possibilities to travel to Cuba in a legal way. It is important to remark that, that issue. Yes, uh, precisely. Uh, we had a nice informal discussion prior to coming here and we discussed some of the misconceptions about Cuba, the fact that someone was under the impression that you were not allowed to have cell phones in Cuba. Uh, so another one was the difference between the vast amount of student debt that we've incurred here, which is, uh, you know, being battered around as we have the uh, presidential debates. And so can you correct people on these misconceptions uh, about being able to be on the internet, cell phones, so forth, and anything? Well, more. already uh, cell phones have been in, in Cuba since for more than 10, 15 years already when they become on the on, on the world more or less at the same time. And already since 2018, the uh, 3G and 4G data have been allowed, uh, have been opened in Cuba and people can buy internet access and, and data access and to, to go there to, to the internet. It's still expensive for Cuba because it's a technology that is needs a lot of improvement and a lot of uh, investment in Cuba. And our government is working on that area, trying to expand it, the access. But already 63% of the population of Cuba have access to internet. It's more uh, than the media, sorry, but that the uh, average of the world population with access to, to internet, that is 50, 56, uh, I guess. And, and, and there's a lot of growth in that area. And that uh, uh, internet connection and availability have already changing, have been already changing things in Cuba, how things are done in Cuba. And our government is also working already 
in the process of process of informatization of the society and the and the presence of government in the web and having uh putting services accessible to people through the internet and things like that are being uh, increasing lately and is it correct that uh, access to cell phones is rel- relatively affordable um well i'm saying uh in the last 10 years uh more than 5 million uh lines of cell phone have been uh activated in cuba mm-hmm. so a lot of people are are doing uh having cell phones and working on that and previously you were asking about education in cuba and in, in our case education is free it's a guarantee of the right of the human right for cuban people uh, and it's guaranteed from our constitution people uh, get free education things preschool until high high uh, education and that's how people in cuba it's are able to to go forward on their in their careers or majors um yes and you have a very good system of jardines infantiles the child care for working parents um to be able to be free to uh, attend their uh, place of employment yeah the, the kindergartens uh, in cuba is one of the the, the, the forces that we got uh, since the, the very beginning of the triumph of the Cuban Revolution uh, for the for the mothers that has the possibility to to go you know uh, sure and safely to to work and having uh, the your childrens uh, good you know take uh, care of their children with these uh, uh, kindergartens yes it's uh, something uh, missing in Cuba is a, a, a fortress that we have as part of the health system uh, in our country I use Jacob School of Music is quite prestigious and we've been able to have uh students from Cuba supported by the um, Ministry of Culture as well as some funding from the university and this seems like uh, some great um headway being made that we hope to pursue. I know people from here love to go to Cuba to learn to dance. Uh, <laughs> um so how might we pursue this uh to create a better liaison in the future? Well, uh, definitely this is another, uh, area we can, uh, achieve and, and move forward, uh, with, uh, Indiana University. We discussed that yesterday with the professor of the university as well. We also knew that, uh, two of Cuban students are today studying in the School of, of Music, uh, in Cuba. Of course, music and, and, and art in general is an, an area we should, uh, explore more. Maybe you have knew about the, 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 the first, the high first, the, the Kennedy Center hosted uh, in, in Washington, D.C. in 2018. They welcomed more than 400 uh, Cuban artists, some of them living in Washington, in the United States, and many of them living uh, in Cuba. It, it showed uh, how, how, how many things we can do in this sector uh, as well. Recently, uh, we welcomed a meeting in Washington, D.C. and the Kennedy Center again, uh, a prestigious orchestra from Cuba, Havana Lyceum Orchestra. They played our, our, our Kennedy Center. They had the possibility to engage with the students, with the Georgetown University. And we look forward to have this kind of uh, initiatives and exchanges with people from the Indiana University as well. Unfortunately, this is another area that has been trying to, the, the, the current um, uh, environment, I mean, context of the, of the policy towards Cuba has been trying to, to stop but you know the 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 arts uh, have you know some is a single language. The arts, so uh, there is still uh, potentialities there, and was recognized uh, yesterday uh, between our meetings uh, with the with the people from the uh, Indiana University. Of course, we welcome the uh, School of uh, Arts and School of Medi- uh, Music of Indiana in Cuba. 
to engage with the with the Cuban institution, and we look forward in the future to get a representative of, from the School of uh, Music in Cuba here. Even though you know the the visa process for us is more difficult now because of the situation we are facing now, but uh, you are still allowed to go there to Havana to to engage with the Cuban uh, musicians. Up next, WFHB junior correspondent Braden Lentz interviews Marquiba Reese, recent recipient of the Outstanding Black Leaders of Tomorrow Award. Marquiba Reese has been a symbol for the Bloomington community for years, from her days at Stepping Stones to the seat at City Hall promoting Black History Month, to currently working at IU's Kelly School of Business as the Assistant Director of Diversity Initiatives. Last Saturday, she was given the City of Bloomington's Outstanding Black Leaders of Tomorrow Award at the Woolery Mills Annual Black History Month Gala. Reese said she was still shocked as she learned the news of receiving the award. Uh, still shocked, still reviewing it, but I think that the most impact is, is that there's a lot of work that is being done, that there's a group of individuals that are working very hard to ensure a welcoming environment for black and brown people in Bloomington. She was appreciative of the safe space that the Woolery Mill provided for all African-American individuals to be recognized. Knowing that these are different spaces for black and brown people to be recognized is, is part of recognizing individuals in the community. She made a deep-rooted impact in her community in many ways, but one way she made a difference was for herself. Building relationships and taking chances boosted her self-confidence. And so I, I choose to uh, cultivate sense of uh, relationships, and those relationships turn into mentorship. And so because of that, it allows me to be... Um, be in certain spaces, like in certain boardrooms, and um, continuously advocating for um, advocating for for communities, specifically Black and Brown communities, Black women, um, to support our um, voices, our narratives, like what we experience. I'm not. I'm not speaking for all Black women, but we definitely need that representation so that we can share our narratives. And so. The the individuals who have poured into me have strengthened me as far as, like, uh, strengthening my voice. And that just basically means speaking up and speaking out. Her civil accomplishments in her work made way to create true adjustments in a 70% white community in Bloomington. But to her, knowing what is not talked about to a mainly small African-American group of people is what she counts on the most. Because community engagement is just—it—it's it, all about really trusting the process and being fully engaged and listening to people, whatever that sounds like. Because sometimes people think that anger isn't something that people should express, but we're supposed to be mad at injustice. We're supposed to be angry at injustice. And so I think that it's all about listening to people and in different ways of listening. Multiple times she named her family members and her mentors for helping her succeed in life and to reach a new volume in all the work she has put in. Because the, my mentors have you know, given back to me in so many ways, and the way that they've given back to me was empowering my voice and people's voices sound different. So as far as me and my voice, it's um, social justice and advocacy. And the way that I do it is different from other people, too. There's multiple ways to advocate. Looking deep into a person is what woke her up the most. Seeing how different sets of people interact, white, 
black or brown, she noticed they needed to be treated as our neighbors, not our own worst enemies. It's, it's all about the individual. I've experienced um, being a first gen. I've experienced having both of my parents. I've experienced so many different things. I feel that to me it's not like an, a reward. It's like our, it's like part of the human race is to identify and see how we can help and support one another, help and support our neighbors. That's really why I'm so passionate about speaking up for marginalized and oppressed communities because they're part of my community, part of my ecosystem. And if my eco if someone in my ecosystem is not supported, and that means essentially it affects me whether I want to, whether I see it or not. So really seeing people and valuing individuals as neighbors, it can support us moving forward. And then some people are always like, well, what about those individuals that preach hate? And I always think of perhaps there's something traumatic or something like that, but so much more to a person internally that we don't see. I think the best way is to recognize that we're neighbors and we need each other. I do support us speaking up for marginalized and oppressed communities. Therese, the relationship between progress and injustice is everything. Losing her parents at a young age and being from a rough side of Fort Wayne really gave her a new sun to shine across. So I always give credit to my community. So I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, born and raised on the south side of Fort Wayne. Both of my parents passed away when I was young and they both had 13 kids together. So I'm the youngest of 13. And so something that has always, that I would share with the community is that I'm part of a very large family and that's where I get all of my passion from because <laughs> I literally had to I have nine brothers uh, by the same parents and four, three sisters. They love me so much and that's really what has contributed to my success I would say and also to my desire to continue with community engagement. Marquiba Reese shows that she has proven herself through all the odds, trauma, and success. However, she is still looking on the bright side, waiting to be the change in an ever-evolving world. For WFHB, I'm Braden Lentz. The WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. They're found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News Today's headlines were written by Katrine Bruner and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Cynthia Roberts-Hall and Braden Lentz. Our engineers today are Sydney Foreman and Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, this is Aaron Wagermiller. And I'm Jordan Jammer. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for KiteLine, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system, coming up next on WFHB.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, longer.